Woi woi, woi woi, woi woi. Then it then go on the radio again. Yo, if you wanna smoke free weed, go board yourself. You need to go plant a seed. Go board yourself, make your knowledge increase. Go board yourself, go board yourself. Hey, all right. Welcome to episode number 37 of Grow Bud Yourself. We have a great show in store for you guys. Uh, We're going to talk about our new Patreon giveaway with Sweetleaf Newts. Our interview is with Dale Sky Jones from Oaksterdam University. And of course, as always, we've got a great cultivation segment for you guys brought to you by Diamond Cut Co. And this episode is also brought to you by Excelsior Extracts. So stick around for more of episode 37 of Grow Bud Yourself. All right, welcome to episode number 37. As always, thank you to DJ Jacques and Win Strong for the tune. And uh, here we are, 37 episodes deep. What's up, Mike? How's it going, Dan? I'm feeling, I'm feeling good, ready to, ready to do this. Excellent. Excellent. We got a great show in store for you guys and a great interview with Dale Sky Jones. Interview went a little long, so we're not going to have a huge intro uh, for you guys because we got some great info there. But I do want to mention our new uh, Patreon tier levels. Uh, So the levels are the same, but now uh, you can get more for each level. So if you're already signed up for Patreon, uh, we'll be doing a post and you can contact us uh, to get your free new stuff uh and if you're considering joining our patreon now is the perfect time because uh along with the existing uh stuff that you could get from the past uh we have new stuff from sweet leaf nutrients so at the four dollar and uh 20 cent healthy seedling uh membership level uh you get a free grow bud yourself sticker and now a free eight ounce bottle of sweet leaf plant nutrients. Uh, if you are in the United States or Canada, uh, that one free eight ounce bottle of sweet leaf newts is a $10 value uh, and it'll get shipped right to your home. You can test out these nutrients yourself for free at the $10 per month level. Those are the swelling nugs <laughs> level. There you get a uh, handwritten thank you note from us and a sticker as well. And you get a quart bottle of sweet leaf plant nutrients. So really cool, great value, and uh, a full quart of newts added to that benefit. So that's pretty rad. Um, at the next level, it's 25 bucks per month, and you're going to get two quarts of newts. Uh, so that's even better because you can try out uh, you know, different styles of nutrients from sweet leaf at that level. You also get the handwritten note. And you get uh, these stickers, and you also get a copy of my grow book, uh, signed if you'd like it. And the grow book is for beginners. It's called Cannabis, A Beginner's Guide to Growing Marijuana. At that $25 per month level, you get a copy of that. And there's going to be promo codes that are specific to these levels that are going to get you even more than the Danko 15, uh, 15% off codes that everybody gets. And at the highest level, which is Heady Chiefs, <laughs> That's the $40, uh, $42 per month level uh, of membership at our Patreon page, which is, by the way, patreon.com slash Danny Danko. At that level, you get everything. So you get uh, the sticker. You get the handwritten note from us uh, with our logo on it. You get my grow book, Cannabis, A Beginner's Guide to Growing Marijuana. You get a shout out live on the podcast and two quarts as well as an eight ounce bottle so you can test out three different types of sweet leaf nutrients with that and a sweet leaf nutrients hat uh part of their merch that they just came out with so we're going to be putting out a lot more exclusive content on there as well so please join up even if it's just at the four dollar and 20 cent level that gets you the eight ounce bottle and you can try the stuff out and you can be a real supporter of the show we got some people on there that have been on for months now and it's it's turning into quite the community so we'd love to have you join us over there it'd be pretty rad to see more people join up and like i said it's patreon.com slash danny danko so and uh, all that is written out so if you go to patreon.com slash danny danko you can see what all the different uh, tiers offer indeed and uh 
you know, we have a really great interview, so I think we should probably get right to that. But uh, anybody who's ever wondered if maybe they should, uh, you know, get into the cannabis industry or just want to learn a little bit more, dip their toe in, uh, this is a really great interview for you to listen to, because not only does Dale Sky Jones know a great deal about the uh, cannabis industry and uh, and cannabis education, but she really breaks down everything that uh, Oaksterdam University has to offer. Absolutely. And they have been around since 2007, educating people how to become part of the cannabis industry, cannabis community, uh, patients, bud tenders, cultivators, dispensary owners, pretty much any way to get your foot in the door. Uh, check out Oaksterdam University and be sure to stick around for our amazing interview with Dale Sky Jones of Oaksterdam coming up next. Hey, you guys, this episode is brought to you by Excelsior Extracts and their incredible THC infused relief rub. Uh, and now this stuff really works. And uh, I know it works because it's made by our friend Outcast, and she needs very, very strong topicals. Uh, so the Relief Rub is the strongest topical I've ever tried. Check them out on Instagram at Excelsior Extracts, all one word. Uh, DM them for info on the Relief Rub if you're interested, and uh, give them a follow. Uh, they're great people, and they grow great cannabis and make great products. So thank you to Excelsior Extracts. Now back to the show. All right, welcome back. And uh, we are pleased and honored to have a very special guest with us, the Executive Chancellor of Oaksterdam University, uh, Miss Dale Sky Jones. Welcome, Dale. Thank you, Danny. Good morning. It's uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the show, and I wanted you to introduce yourself and, and talk about uh, how you got involved in cannabis to begin with, um, for the people who may not know. Sure. You know, a long, long time ago, um, back in 2007, I decided to leave my quote-unquote corporate career uh, to go manage some doctors down in Orange County. What I didn't realize at the time was a nearly lifelong issue that I had been suffering that, that just involved really spontaneous puking to the point that would send me to the hospital, it was uh, the cannabis doctors that I worked with that ultimately solved the mystery of my life of why I just always had food poisoning or alcohol poisoning or um, just whatever it was that was the trigger. Um, so I became a patient myself uh, in that first year because I understood that my condition was in fact medical. And in my corporate career, I had always been involved with training and development, headhunting, you know, going in and troubleshooting, uh, hiring and making it better through development, employee development, professional development and personal development. And so I immediately looked for that in the cannabis space because the patients that walked in to talk to our doctors walked out into that same black hole that I was feeling of, well, where do I go for information? And so I started looking, and I first found Dale Gehringer with Normal, because Dale and Dale, I, I had to go there <laughs> to go find the male Dale in this space. Uh, and he told me about a gentleman that had been doing education for you know, 15 years at that point, and uh, had, uh, well, it was the Patient ID Center, uh, originally the Oakland Cannabis Buyers Cooperative. The OCBC had gone to the Supreme Court on this issue, and when they were shut down by the Fed um, from providing cannabis to their medical necessity patients. They turn to education and ID cards and policy work. And so I called Jeff Jones and talked to him about education and training. And he told me about this idea that he and his friend had been talking about for quite a while uh, that his friend was about to found. And so that year, I also met my future husband, the father of my three babies, and um, my future of becoming chancellor for Oaksterdam University. And, and what year did you get involved with Oaksterdam? 2007, I was the fly on the wall watching them do it. By the beginning of 2008, I was in full agreement that we could also do it in Southern California. So I believe my first uh, volunteer was February of 2008 for the very first LA classes. And I was tossed in because the doctor that was scheduled to teach science got lost in Compton. And 
didn't make it. And so the facilitator that day came running up to me saying, well, wait, you work with doctors. Do you think you could? I said, well, sure. This is the same curricula that I go over with the patients that come visit us. And so that day I also became a science instructor. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, Tell me a little bit about the curriculum of Oaksterdam. What do you guys teach and how how is that accomplished? Well, back in the day, it was just teaching patients how to be safe and responsible in growing their own medicine, transporting it, and successful law enforcement encounters. That became, um, well, it evolved into, I want to do this for others. And we started to teach people how to open their own cooperative or collective, uh, how to run a business. And then it became, well, you need to hire people and they want jobs. So then we started teaching people how to work within the industry and then the supply chain. Uh, And that turned into what we are today. We've taught over 50,000 individuals from over 40 countries in our campus locations. Uh, We've had uh, multiple campuses around the country over the years and also done a lot of traveling uh, seminars. Uh, But it's our home base, our Oakland campus, uh, that we had to close due to COVID. We also, unfortunately, had a fire the same week of the closures for COVID that took uh, part of our roof out um, in our campus. But we were also prepared to go virtual. Um, We had already started online courses a couple of years prior that were asynchronous. And so my team pulled off the miraculous. Uh, We knew that it was going to be tough and we knew it was going to be good, but I never imagined what they would come up with. We've had professors from now multiple four-year and international universities participate in our classroom, either as teachers or judges or as coaches. And they're secretly writing us later that they've contacted their president and said, Oaksterdam is blowing them out of the water on delivery. It doesn't even matter the content. It's the experience that you no longer have to fly to Oakland and, you know, get a hotel or get a place to stay for anywhere between five days and three months. We come to you. We're now based in your living room. And so it's an opportunity for students to network still worldwide, where instead of having to come from, you know, France and Brazil and Florida, uh, now you can just sit side by side in the classroom. And what's most fun is I don't yell at you for chatting anymore. Uh, you have a place for that. So I would actually say that you have even more interaction opportunities and tours than, than we used to. Uh, the other answer I'd like to give you with curricula is the new programs that we've launched. And anyone that's even come to a campus at Oaksterdam has never seen the programs we're teaching now. We spent the last two years entirely overhauling all of our programs. So we now have a business of cannabis capstone project. You walk out of that course prepared to do your financials for your pitch. And so that business program is really for anyone wanting to understand any aspect of the business of cannabis. And then, of course, our Gold Star Horticulture program uh, still our uh, most popular uh, around the world. We've introduced workforce development programs recently with Bud Tending, and we're about to launch extractions and manufacturing. And last, we have quite a few free programs. So anyone that just wants to poke around and check it out, we have uh, cannabis as an exit for opioids and opiates. Uh, it is not the gateway. It is, in fact, the exit strategy. And you can go ahead and check out that free science-based course. We also have one on advocacy and a, a little tester on seeds if you just want to taste of the Hort program. That's amazing. And, uh, you know, we should mention that many, many of the leaders of the cannabis industry, um, you know, owners of dispensaries, uh, horticulture experts, all are graduates of Oaksterdam University. It's it's quite a distinguished list. And also the way that you sort of uh, evolved, I think, from you know, as you mentioned in 2008, being being uh, very patient advocated, and then now as the industry has grown, um, expanding to, you know, the politics, the legal issues, business management, uh, dispensary management, people, you know, should understand that you guys have, have evolved, uh, but not without some uh, tough uh, moments along the way. Uh, so can we talk a little bit about the raid in 2012? You were actually... Oaksterdam was raided by the DEA and U.S. Marshal Service. Is that correct? 
yes, although you forgot a few sets of letters in the alphabet soup. We, we had Treasury, and it was actually an IRS raid, Danny. And a lot of people don't realize this, um, that it was not, in fact, a DEA raid. The DEA was there to collect the uh, plants, of course, because we had quite a nursery living in our basement. Um, however, uh, the, the IRS um, fancied Richard Lee, our founder, uh, hats off to Richard, um, they fancied him a Walter White. Uh, what he had actually done with his money, he did not, in fact, bury it in barrels. Uh, what he did was he turned it into political action. So he took what he made in the first few years of having Blue Sky Dispensary and his nursery um, and catapulted that into the Prop 19 campaign. This was the first campaign to try to legalize, control, tax, regulate cannabis for adults. And you mentioned something about our patient advocacy. The whole point was to take the target off of the backs of the patients. We still had people being ripped out of wheelchairs, semi-automatic weapons in their face for trying to access their medicine. And this was still going on in 2010 when we were on the ballot. And so we were just simply trying to legalize for everybody so that we could finally take the teeth out of the criminalization of this issue. This was always a social justice and civil rights issue. And back in the day, you know, it was, um, well, let's just say you, we paid the price for the political action. And so the DEA came a knocking. <clears throat> the good news there for any of our alumni who is on our rosters is the DEA uh, um, would have gone after you, but the IRS was disallowed from sharing any of your information with the DEA. So yay, IRS raids, because they're not allowed to share your personal information with other government agencies. Um, so your information was safe and it was actually returned to us because no charges were ever filed. Um, in fact, the affidavit remains sealed. We still don't know why they went after Richard. Um, he was forcibly retired and coming up on nine years on, well, April 2nd, uh, I think they would have done it on April Fool's Day if it hadn't been a Sunday um, so that nobody would believe it. But, uh, yeah, they they came in and shut down all of his businesses. And that was the day that several of his employees had to decide if we were going to keep the mission going. And so I picked up the school and the museum and kept right on rocking. And it's it's hard to believe now that I've had the school for nine years uh, and uh, – it was only five years old when the raid happened. Incredible. Um, yeah. Inc was, and, and but we're scrappy. Were, yeah. Well, <laughs> obviously, because apparently there were classes less than 48 hours after the raid. You were already back to educating people about cannabis. So I couldn't have uh, done it without the amazing faculty who braved just showing up and volunteering, frankly, for the rest of the year uh, to really complete the promise that we made to those students who were brave enough to show up for class on the last day. No kidding, Danny, the last class, harvest and raid preparation. Can we just talk about like what <laughs> lower timing? Yeah, yes. incredible. And I think, you know, a lot of the people were galvanized by that raid as well. A lot of activists were outraged and um, spoke out uh, about it and were very adamantly opposed uh and even even so much as like trying to stop the raid right I mean, people were out in the streets indeed we had several individuals including our original um chancellor uh daniel schumacher laid down i believe in front of one of the trucks that they were trying to haul away um but the the one that i would really you know call out to uh, Jose, um, he was he was caught. He was a reporter, and he was caught in a melee of shoving. Mickey Martin was right behind him, like they were all shoving back and forth, and he got shoved into a federal agent, and he just was tensed up enough that they um, called it uh, assault, um, and that was a true nightmare for his entire family uh, for years after that, as well as a, a former close friend of ours who. I think they thought we were burying cash in his backyard, but the reality was of all of our friends, we would go play Trivial Pursuit, you know, once or twice a week or play cards or whatever. And his was the house that was wheelchair accessible. For those of you that don't know our, our founder, Richard, well, he was a roadie, um, worked with a lot of very famous bands and he was with Aerosmith up on scaffolding and 
uh, when he fell, he fell uh, on a screwdriver that was in his belt uh, that shattered several vertebrae. And, and that was really what got him going to just say, you know, F it. He became a kamikaze fighter of this is the only thing that helps me. And he convinced his Christian conservative right mama that this was medicine. And she went and started ramp Republicans against marijuana prohibition uh, and shows up at CPAC to, you know, holler at all of her Republican friends that if you are pro-life, then damn it, you better be pro-cannabis. Absolutely. And clearly, uh, you know, should not be a, a partisan issue Indeed. Uh, in any way. Now, um, tell me a little bit about uh, the faculty at Oaksterdam and, and who you've got there teaching people. I cannot say enough about the phenomenal faculty. So often they walk out of the, the very rooms that are determining policy uh, into the classroom to teach you how to handle the new policy. Um, it, we have uh, phenomenal researchers and PhDs teaching the science program. I don't teach it anymore. I now have people smarter than me <laughs> to teach it. And I think that that is really the key. Our dean of faculty, Natalie Darvis, um, has helped uh, increase the faculty as of late. And, and the faculty that comes in um, has been there, seen it, done it, uh, and uh, probably made several mistakes along the way that you can then learn from. And, and that goes back to your point about Oaksterdam. You know, the, the trials and tribulations that, that we have had to go through has only made us stronger. Yes, and galvanized uh, the community and the industry around. And uh, on that note, Oakland has been on, at the forefront, I think, of social equity issues, uh, issues uh, regarding um, union, unionization of uh, cannabis workers and things like that. Uh, tell me a little bit about uh, how Oaksterdam and, and Oakland in general has uh, dealt with those type of issues of social equity and unions and things like that. Yeah. Well, both were largely born in, in Oaksterdam. Um, you know, there's a lot of individuals that, that worked towards these goals. So I would, I would certainly, you know, point out that we stand on the shoulders of, of a lot of of, well, soldiers <laughs> um, that are, are nameless and, and, you know, their, their work won't be forgotten. But we invited the unions in uh, during Prop 19. I remember arguing uh, with, with other thought leaders about this, but I knew that the only way uh, to really change the world politically uh, was to involve political heavyweights in California. And it was the unions that, in fact, walked us into a lot of the decision makers' rooms back in the day uh, during the campaign that was heard around the world. That became the blueprint for the campaigns that came after it. Uh, and frankly, we would have been unionized as an industry decades ago if this were not prohibited. Uh, I know that there are um, some unusual practices uh, that still need to be you know, addressed, that there are ways to improve the relationships. But I think that we're starting to get over the cusp where employees are, are starting to feel union representation is for them and not necessarily just for fresh blood in the unions. And I think having um, that awareness and cognizance, both from union leaders and um, employees to know their rights and managers to know their employees' rights, um, only largely improves the space, uh, especially in California. It's just good practice to get used to the regulatory. Um, as far as social equity, this is where my heart lies. Uh, we've long said that, you know, Oaksterdam's mission to legalize cannabis to end marijuana prohibition was not about freeing the weed as much as it is freeing the people. And for too long, it's been medical if you're white and criminal if you're not. And this still happens that we have individuals making money in the shadow of the prisons that our brethren are sitting in or that their family died in or that they lost their parents to. And we're definitely not there yet. And so it was the Oakland City Council that first ensconced what we had been shouting from the rooftops for years into local law. And the equity provisions were you know, clunky and awkward and necessary and long overdue. And I dare to say, you know, was, as the country is entering uh, again, once again these discussions, that reparations have started here in the cannabis industry. And there are now local laws 
uh, and finally state laws. Uh, I like to see things happening also in, in places like Illinois and even Missouri tried <laughs> to approach social equity. Um, and so there's, uh, it's all about holding up the model, the template, the example, and showing folks you can do it and it is worth it. And that is really what Oaksterdam is all about. We're going to set you up for success. We're going to prepare you for the worst. And then we're going to teach you how to wing it. But we're also going to ask that as you find success, that you tithe back to our communities. And that is often um, in, in your hiring practices. It's in your good works. It doesn't always have to be cannabis oriented. It can be, you know, your, your local Habitat for Humanity or YMCA program. But the more that you do for and with your community, the more you hire leadership and staff that is your community, that reflects your community, women in leadership, people of color in leadership, that your bottom line will actually improve. That if you do good business and that you expect that out of the people you do business with, that we will not only raise all ships in the cannabis industry, but we're actually helping our communities and our communities will then come out and buy from us. Right. Well, as we're seeing um, tons of money flo flooding into the industry, uh, MSOs, multi-state operators, uh, consolidating a lot of uh, businesses, purchasing up uh, licenses and things like that. How can a small business survive? How, wh what are the ways that they can compete with uh, you know, these seemingly endless resources that uh, some of these big businesses have? And at the same time, these big businesses... Uh, they talk about social equity, but it seems like a lot of times that's not really uh, policy that they implement within the business. Um, so how can small businesses, uh, mom and pops, compete? Well, you bring up an important point, and I actually wish I'd saved my last answer for this question. Uh, because that uh, I, I just got off the phone this morning. I, I received a phone call from someone that has been in the business for several years now, and they're they're interested in having Oaksterdam train their staff. And, and he sat and explained to me in their other businesses that they have a zero advertising budget, that they instead spend their time and resources on community projects. And that keeps their doors swinging, people coming in and going out because of the individuals that they meet and impress out in the community. So I, I think that it's just different tactics. You're not going to be able to compete with the advertising budget. I mean, heck, I can't compete with the advertising budget of some of these other uh, businesses that, that claim to educate. Um, so I just keep my head down and focused on doing what I know is the best thing, interacting with, with uh, the individuals. You know, all politics are local and, and so is your business. You know, the people that are ordering from you and coming in your door might feel the same way you do about multi-state operators. And they might want to give those local dollars uh, to their local businesses. Um, it's, it's just about engendering that relationship. And, and it truly is about relationships when you're on that smaller level. Uh, going back to the equity question, um, this is also an additional concern because of predatory relationships. So, you know, as a, as a small business... Um, regardless of how you got into business, positioning yourself to make sure that your financial house is in order, that you have clear uh, documentation, and that you're saleable. You know, you might wind up bringing on uh, financers and scaling your own business, or you might get bought out and start a new business. Um, so there's, there's different options for exiting your company that don't always necessarily have to be your run into the ground and put out of business. Um, I realize that I'm saying this during a time that is extraordinarily difficult uh, for so many businesses, large and small. And I, I don't want to, you know, harsh MSOs. They were small once too. Um, and they did something right, you know. Um, and some MSOs um, absolutely are like token lip service to diversity and inclusion. And some are genuinely trying uh, to do it well and do it right. You know, you, you really vote with your dollars, folks. Uh, when you walk into a dispensary, even if it is a multi-state operator, fine. Ask them where the products on the shelf are from women or people of color or LGBTQ+. Whatever, whoever you are and whoever you want to support, pick one and start asking about it. And ask your friends to ask about it. Because I promise you if that dispensary gets 20 people in a month or two, 
asking where are uh, your you know diversity products on the shelf? Oh, did you have to take me to the back room in the dark, dusty corner where I'll never find them? Why is that? And just continue to just ask the questions. Um, and it'll start to change the behavior of your local operators. MSOs uh, can control their supply chain. And so there are uh, a lot of different ways that you can influence, but the number one way is with your dollar. Yes. And I've been saying this as well. You know, you get what you ask for, you get what you pay for. So you vote with your dollar and uh, companies are bound to change their policies based on that as well. I mean, that that's their bottom line. Now, uh, over 40,000 people have graduated uh, and received uh, OU certifications, um, which are widely recognized uh, among employers in the cannabis industry. But is, is there any other ways that you help people um, post-graduate graduation to get jobs in the industry? Yeah, we've had to take a really hard look at post-graduation efforts. Um, because of the raid back in 2012, we actually had, even prior to that, been obsessive about student privacy. We wouldn't allow photos in class. Like we would, um, it, lots of people came in just as a, you know, John or Jane Doe, um, without names or, uh, affiliate information. Um, we very carefully never tracked any of our students, um, for their own safety and protection. And part of our orientation was about, um, asking other students to respect one another's privacy when they're in the classroom. Uh, so, it's, um, it's been a bit of a, a mind shift over the last year or two to say, okay, a lot has changed now. Um, and there are ways that we can reconnect our network through our alumni association um, and a business association, because we really have strengths and strength in numbers. That 40,000 number, I think, was a couple years ago. So it's, it's a greater than that even now. And they're all over the world. And so we just talked about multi-state operators. If you happen to be all over the world, you know, we just had a, a conversation with one that's um, not just in America, but, but in Europe. Well, so are our graduates. And so it's absolutely an opportunity to connect the dots. And the folks that hire our graduates um, are often graduates themselves. Uh, they understand that you have that same mentality that I've been describing uh, throughout our conversation of, you know, doing well and doing good uh, as, as you do business, that it, it not only improves your community, uh, it improves your bottom line. And so even if you're not trying to save the world, here's what's in it for you to do the right thing. Um, I think that over this next year is when you're going to see it explode. Uh, we'll have uh, job fairs and interactions with employers and graduates. Um, we are planning a homecoming at the end of this year that has not quite been announced, but I'll drop a little teaser there uh, to try to bring our alumni back home and use that leverage that we have to get just better um, you know, we get taken advantage of as an industry because of this concept of, oh, well, we're just going to charge you a sin tax, a, an extra vig on whatever it is, the service we do for you. And I, I holler bullshit. Am I allowed to holler bullshit? Oh, yeah. Uh, I think that's bullshit. Please do. We should get together and, and you know, demand better, um, whether it's insurance companies or, or health programs or just um, Banks, you know, the nanny network of trusting qualified consultants that, you know, I didn't hire you, but I know 10 other people that hired you. And if you don't do right, then you're going to have to answer to them, too. Uh, I learned a lot being a mom um, and hiring babysitters in that way. Uh, it, it's it's important to uplift one another um, and, and also be able to access one another. So there's going to be quite a bit rolling out there. And it might be appropriate to also um, drop the other teaser that Oaksterdam has been uh, working for the last year and a half uh, to achieve independent contractor status with two major cities to provide equity training. And so very, very soon there will be announcements and pathways if you are an equity applicant uh, in Los Angeles uh, or San Francisco. We will be able to educate you through the governor's uh, GoBiz grant funds. So we're super excited about that upcoming. Amazing. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, if someone's interested in finding out more, uh, checking out these courses, some of the free courses, like you mentioned, advocacy, 
um, cannabis pain and the opioid crisis, uh, even a sample class in horticulture. So how would people find out more information and be able to check out um, these classes and, and learn more about Oaksterdam? Best place to start is oaksterdamuniversity.com, and you can learn more about both our synchronous and asynchronous courses, meaning you can take them at your own pace, or you can join a live cohort. We do have a wait list. Uh, we just decided to open a new cohort on March 2nd. So uh, those of you that were bummed that we sold out the January cohort, you have another chance before April. Yay. Uh, so absolutely, oaksterdamuniversity.com. And you can also schedule time uh, to have an appointment if you call the number and we're not a- uh, able to answer your questions. We'll escalate it to a guidance counselor to determine your needs. I should mention you guys are also on uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, YouTube, and people can subscribe to uh, the Oaksterdam newsletter at that website as well, oaksterdamuniversity.com. Now, one last question for you. How soon do you see uh, descheduling and a federal change in cannabis policy? How do you envision that occurring or when? I'm glad you asked, Danny, because we are in a very, uh, I'm I'm in a very, I'm I'm flat alarmed. Let me just be blunt. (laughs) I am alarmed because we have uh, a a new president and a new administration um, and our incoming president was the architect of the drug war and he firmly does not believe in legalization. He believes in a softer, gentler prohibition. And so what we do in that scenario is we bring in someone for the ONDCP, like, uh, you know, one of the former leaders of, of or the current leaders of SAM, which is also frightening. Um, it's a modern day Harry Anslinger, if you will. Uh, and we just force people to drug test and then go into treatment. And the results of that, by the way, you have to pay for that private treatment. And those companies make the money, the treatment companies and the testing companies. So you can once again follow the money on where we're headed here. Um, So now you have a marijuana addiction and to avoid jail time, you choose treatment. And now you're paying for that treatment out of pocket. You're fined as well and penalized. Um, And now here's the tragedy. There's no room for the heads that need those beds. The people that truly need the treatment don't have space because of all the quote-unquote marijuana addicts that self-selected into treatment. And so don't let them fool you that when they talk about how marijuana addiction and treatment has skyrocketed lately, it's because those folks are smart enough to choose treatment over jail. I would do the same thing. Tell me what I need to say to avoid jail. So that is my largest concern is that we don't deschedule, we reschedule which will frankly upend the current marketplace as we know it. Um, you know, the FDA is never going to regulate a plant. That is not their purview. And so we just need to take it out of the Controlled Substances Act, put it with someone like, um, well, I'm frankly now just a fan of the ATFC, uh, add a C to that bad boy um, and let them control cannabis like they do alcohol and tobacco. Um, as we pharmaceuticalize, Uh, the individual components through the FDA. We can walk and chew gum at the same time. The best news is that Mitch McConnell will no longer kill anything before it even comes out of committee. So the best news of all is that we now have a Senate that will apply pressure to the office of the president, which is where the ONDCP lives. So it's going to always take two. If there's only one, they're just not going to move very much. And that was the whole point of Prop 19. And I want to make this point because at the end of the day, this is what I want people thinking about as they legalize. It is that we must simultaneously decriminalize. If we only legalize for a select few, the rich get richer and the rest of us can either go work for them or choose to be a criminal. We have got to take the teeth out of the law. And in Prop 19, it took the pressure of a voter initiative to convince the governor at the time, Schwarzenegger, to sign what he had vetoed four times before, a decriminalization bill that he passed. It was our October surprise, one of our October surprises. But he shouted to California, you don't need to legalize because I just decriminalized. And that decriminalization measure that we forced, even though we lost by barely lost that campaign, that decrim measure dropped arrests and jails 
87% by the very next year. Now, in a state the size of California, nine out of 10 pot smokers not going to jail that day was a huge reduction in the criminalization. And when you look to other states that only legalized, we are now targeting youth 20 and under, and especially youth of color. We have gone backwards. And so for those reasons, decriminalization uh, while we legalize, but importantly, we have to always apply torque to multiple places simultaneously in, a, in order to really get movement in any one thing. Absolutely. Well, so call we'll your keep, senator. Yes, we will keep their feet to the fire. <laughs> yes. Uh, I want to thank uh, thank you, Dale Sky Jones, Executive Chancellor of Oaksterdam University. Um, thanks for being on the show. I so appreciate this, and I hope to and be be invited back someday. I look forward to seeing some of your listeners at Oaksterdam University. Thank you. Thanks so much. Uh, we will be back with more. Grow bud yourself. Hey guys, Grow Bud Yourself is so proud to be sponsored by Sweet Leaf Nutrients. They have an incredible line of organic and synthetic nutrients, uh, amazing amendments, great stuff on their website. And using the code DANKO15, you can get 15% off of everything at sweetleaf.com. That's S-U-I-T-E-L-E-A-F. They have amazing organic fertilizers, amendments, indoor hydroponic grow tent kits, uh, smell-proof bags, duffel bags, all kinds of backpacks, and an incredible line of newts that work wonderfully with cannabis. We got a great promotion going on with Patreon, where we're giving away sweet leaf nutrients at those different levels, and lots of promo codes there as well. So we are just super psyched to have Sweet Leaf on as a sponsor for the show, and we hope that you will also support them. Join us on our Patreon page for some free newts. And check out their site, sweetleaf.com, for nutrients and more. All right, we are back, and I think it is time for the cultivation segment. Yes, it is cultivation time. Great, great interview with Dale Sky Jones. Yes, absolutely. Oaksterdam, amazing, amazing story. So yes, this is the uh, cultivation segment, and um, and we should take a second just to thank our sponsor. The cultivation segment is brought to you by Diamond Cut Co. Premium Quality Trimming Scissors. They have incredible, incredible trimming scissors, and anyone who grows their own knows you got to trim your own. And these are the Rolls Royce of trimming equipment. So uh, check them out at DiamondCutCo.com. They have free U.S. shipping and expedited international shipping available and uh, five different kinds of scissors there. And you can use the code DANKO20 for 20% off. So thank you to Diamond Cut Co. for sponsoring the grow segment. Check them out at diamondcutco.com and on Instagram as diamond.cut.co, Diamond Cut Co. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you to Diamond Cut Co. And um, thank you all for joining us in the cultivation segment. And guess what? It has been a fortnight, which of course means it's time for Strain of the Fortnight. Strain of the Fortnight. <laughs> <laughs> I got an oldie, but a goodie. And uh, my Canadian friends will especially appreciate this. Uh, this week's strain, or this fortnight strain, is Island Sweet Skunk, which Ooh. is... Yes, an incredible one of my favorite of all uh, of all time, actually, in, in a weird way, because it's just so so unique. Uh, and if you've tasted it, you understand it's uh, from Next Generation Seed Company, uh, which is one of those that's been around for a long, long time. I think you can find them at GreenLifeSeeds.com if that's still around. But uh, Next Gen is just amazing, and Jay's quite a quite a breeder, quite a dude. Um, the lineage of the Island Sweet Skunk is the sweet pink grapefruit crossed with big skunk number one. So it's really got that like just fruitiness to it. Uh, a bit of skunkiness. This one's been grown out on Vancouver Island for decades. Um, it was developed originally by Jordan of the islands. Um, I believe, uh, now defunct, uh, but it's a very sativa dominant, uh, strain and really just, like I said, very popular in British Columbia, um, and then sort of made its way 
all around the world from there, especially in Spain as well, because Jay was living over there for a while and may, may still be. Um, but sometimes they call it the ISS. Uh, very unique flavor, very unique odor. Um, sweet, got that sweetness. Um, but then there's undertones uh, of cedar and cinnamon. So it's really just very nuanced and all over the place, uh, but in a, such a great way. Um, again, sativa dominant, so it's going to stretch a bit during growth and, and even after you in, uh, induce flowering. Uh, but it's worth it because there's a wonderful, amazing high, um, very cerebral, very uplifting, uh, very inspirational. And I think that's really important for the Canadian winter as well uh, when you're not getting quite as much sunlight and it tends to be a little bit on the colder side. Although Vancouver's, you know, probably one of the most temperate of Canadian regions. But that's that's like they're Miami. <laughs> Basically, yeah. I mean, there's definitely some Gulf some type of wind or gulf action or something that keeps them from having uh, their weather be quite as harsh. You know, although I've been on out on Vancouver Island and experienced some, some wild weather. So, uh, <laughs> you know, anything can happen. Um, so when cultivated properly, uh, Island Sweet Skunk is going to yield you a, good, a pretty decent harvest. Uh, bright orange tops, lots of trichomes. Um, it's a heavy feeder early in life. You want to cut back on newts after about a month or so, but definitely a nitrogen feeder early on. Um, good for screen of green or some type of a training regimen, uh, because as I mentioned, it does stretch. Uh, but if you let it go the full distance, which uh, flowering time of nine weeks, uh, sometimes even up to 10 weeks, you'll get uh, everything you're looking for out of the Island Sweet Skunk, a very delicious old school Canadian strain the ISS from next gen. All right. Yes. An oldie, but a goodie. It's a great strain of the Fortnite. So thank you for that. And, uh, you know, our listeners know that each week you like to provide a grow tip that will help people become better growers. So, so what would you like to discuss this week? Yes. So this week I have, uh, five cannabis vocabulary definitions. And, uh, these are basically just ways of understanding, uh, what certain things are and distinctions between certain things as well. So uh, the first one I would say is the difference between uh, using the term strain and strand. A lot of times people will say strand. Uh, strand is not the preferred nomenclature. This is sort of one of your pot peeves. <laughs> For sure. If I hear people saying strand uh, or misspelling cannabis um, or, you know, even saying something like trichrome uh, you know, it just rubs me the wrong way because if you purport yourself to be an expert or at least someone who's doing research and interested in cannabis, it's important to get the terms right. So strain is basically a variety of cannabis. Uh, could be an F1, could be F2, S1. There's really no particular uh, designation there, but uh, definitely try not to use the word strand uh, when you're referring to cannabis varieties. Uh, secondly, uh, is the word cannabinoid. Uh, this is basically the chemical components of cannabis. So, uh, THC, CBD, CBN, uh, and lots more THCA and THCV. And there's over a hundred, maybe more, maybe way more than that. Uh, once all is said and done, but these are what produce the variety effects of effects on your body and your brain. Uh, in conjunction with each other. And so it's important to understand cannabinoid science is more than just how much THC is in the plant, but also all of these other cannabinoids, terpenoids, flavonoids, and how they interact with each other. So that's important. And that's a term that people sometimes misuse. So cannabinoid uh, is basically the chemical components of cannabis. Uh, next would be uh, the difference between phenotype and genotype, this is one of those things. Uh, phenotype is a plant's obs observable expression of its genetic material within its environment, while uh, genotype is the stored genetic footprint held within the plant's DNA. So genotype is specific just to what's inside the DNA. Phenotype also has to do with how that plant reacts to uh, its environment. So those are important distinctions as well, because uh, one is just 
based on what uh, it's basically the same as nature. It's the argument that, you know, who are we? Are we just our genetics or are we a product of our environment as well? And the truth is we're both. So uh, that's an important distinction as well. Phenotype and genotype. Um, the fourth one I would say is land race. We get a lot of uh, people asking about land race, uh, inbred line, IBL. These are two separate things, but a land race is uh, original plant genetics from their place of origin. So if you're talking about, uh, let's say, you know, a Durban poison, uh, a Durban land race would be from South Africa, from the Durban region. That would be the land race. And then if you were using that to breed with, um, you would then potentially be able to create an inbred line by bringing that somewhere else and uh, breeding it over time and things like that. But land race is the original plant genetics from the place of origin, Afghanistan, India, uh, Nepal, wherever it may be. Uh, it's where it's been for a long period of time and really acclimated to that region and, and been grown uh, generation after generation. And the fifth one is trichome uh, or glandular trichome. Uh, this is the tiny clear, well, clear originally, mushroom-shaped gland that contains the essential oils of cannabis. And if you, you have to you know, use a loop and look very closely, or if you've seen cannabis macro photography, uh, you can see that it's got the stalk and the bulbous gland head at the end and it's clear originally, then it turns cloudy and then becomes amber as the plant matures. Uh, but remember, that's trichome, not trichrome. And uh, really what you're after when you're growing cannabis is the trichome. That's where the essential oil is, especially if you're interested in hash and concentrates and things of that nature. That all comes from the glandular trichome. Okay, yeah, very helpful. Uh, thank you for those vocabulary terms. We hope that helps our listeners. And uh, yes, now it is time uh, for some Grow q and um, If you have a question that you would like answered on the show, get in touch with us. You can email us. That is info at growbudyourself.com. Uh, you could also go to our website. Uh, get us on Patreon, on YouTube, elsewhere. So what do you say we uh, jump right in here? Sounds great. All right. Uh, this first one is from uh, Rhino, who writes... Uh, I gotta ask about the name of the new show. Since the beginning, every time I hear the name, it makes me think, go fuck yourself. Uh, is that what you were emulating, or am I just wanting to believe that? Uh, so that's the first part of this. Would you like to address that? You know, it's it's funny because it, it does have that connotation slightly. I mean, we did have to change the name of the show. You know, I did like the name of that show. And so there's a little bit of defiance there, I guess you could say. But also... That definitely crossed our mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But at the same time, you know, in a joking manner, you know, moving moving on to the future and all of that, uh, it's more, you know, just grow bud yourself is uh, the new free weed. So, you know, if you love, if you like free weed, you're going to love to grow bud yourself. And uh, if you don't like free weed grow bud yourself <laughs> yeah either way grow bud yourself yep <laughs> and you could say it you know i live in brooklyn so hey grow bud yourself there you go yeah uh, okay so um rhino continues um i'm hoping you guys can help promote this petition calling on kansas legislators to pass a medical marijuana bill in 2021 uh kansas is way behind on this front apparently governor kelly said that she would sign the bill if it got to her desk I'm fortunate to live in the only city in Kansas that has decriminalized cannabis, but that's just not enough. So uh, thanks for all your help and your awesome shows. I've listened to all of them. Thanks, Mike and Danny. Uh, yeah, we could promote that. Yeah, absolutely. Rhino, uh, it's actionnetwork.org. Uh, just search for legalized medical marijuana in Kansas. Uh, there's a petition there. We'll also put this uh, out on uh, our newsletter next week uh, after this episode airs. So, yeah, definitely we need Kansas uh, as one of the states that goes, you know, you don't you don't want to be the last state to legalize. You know, uh, I'm talking to you, uh, Idaho or Utah. <laughs> you don't want to be the last ones. You know, that's just that goes down in history as, as somewhat disgraceful. So New York, New York. Oh, God, <laughs> don't get me started. <laughs> but uh, yeah, definitely. Kansas needs to legalize. So uh, please, you guys, check out actionnetwork.org. Uh, sign a petition to legalize cannabis in K 
Kansas. And then we can start calling it Kansasis or cam- cannabisis. Cannabisis? <laughs> Kansasis, but cannabis in Kansas. We'll we'll come up with something. Yes. Better. <laughs> okay. Uh so yes, thank you, Rhino. And uh let's move on to West 59th Farmers, who writes, Yo, Danny and Mike. I'm really enjoying the podcast. Keep up the amazing work. Uh, My question is involving mother plant maintenance. I have a mother plant and a 10-gallon smart pot under a 450-watt argon LED board in a 10x10 tent with 32 to 36 veg plants in 2-gallon smart pots at any given time. Uh, I try to keep the humidity around 80 and the temp between 70 and 80 degrees with a 24-hour light cycle. Do you have any tips or tricks that you could pass along to help me get the healthiest clippings every two to three weeks? Uh, keep up the immensely helpful information and content. Much love. Job bless. What would you say there to West 59th Farmers? Yes. I mean, it sounds like you've got your mother plant in a pretty decent situation. Uh, 10 gallons is about the smallest I would want to be growing a mother plant inside. I mean... Uh, five gallon works as well. Ten gallons fine, but the bigger the better, especially if you want to take uh, cuttings every two to three weeks, uh, because the bigger the root system, the quicker the plant's going to grow. Uh, and if you really need a lot of cuttings, you want the plant to grow fairly quickly. Um, everything else about your setup seems fine, except maybe the 24-hour light cycle. I know I'm weird about this, but I like to have plants to have at least a couple of hours of dark, so. If you're not fully committed to 24 hours, maybe just give them 22, 20, uh, and give them just a little bit of a dark period to, uh, you know, just kind of recover from all that light that they're taking in and just have even just a nice short period of darkness. I think it's helpful. You don't want to go below 16, obviously, and I I usually recommend 18.6. Maybe 20 and 24 is probably ideal for mother plants because you don't want them getting confused at all. You know, you want them to consider it to be the deepest part of the summer uh, and not start flowering or anything like that. So if you want to keep it at 24, it's not going to kill them. It's not going to, you know, it's fine. You can do that. Uh, But I would say uh, if you wanted to uh, increase the size of the smart pot that you're using from 10 gallons to something bigger, you'll certainly get more growth uh, and quicker growth. But otherwise, it sounds like you're doing pretty good. And uh, the relative humidity at 80 seems a little bit high. I'd bring that down to, you know, 60, 65 or so. Uh, And the temperature, 70 to 80. I'd bring that closer to 70 than to 80 if you can. Uh, Otherwise, everything seems to be fine. And uh, the more cuttings you take, the more nodes, uh, new, you know, spaces you create, then you'll get a bushier and bushier mother plant. Uh, so keep up the great work and thank you. Job bless. All right. There you go. We hope that helps you out. Let's, uh, let's move on to Gunja Gonzalez who writes, dear Danny and Mike, uh, have a great new year and keep up the uh, best cannabis podcast out there running. I have a question concerning the flowering stage. Uh, this is an interesting one. As far as I remember, Danny mentioned in one episode that the plants are influencing each other when they are close during the flowering phase. I recently made an observation while I was growing two different photoperiodic feminized strains. They should have needed different flowering times. Uh, The difference should have been about three weeks, uh, but to my surprise they finished exactly at the same time. Now, do you think that these plants influenced each other? If yes, how do they communicate? What chemicals are exchanged here? And could this effect be intentionally used to reduce the flowering times of strains that usually take much longer by planting them next to a strain that finishes rather quickly? Uh, thank you very much in advance. I'm also looking forward to the uh, book arriving. I hope that's underway for a proud Heady Chief supporter on Patreon. Uh, so thank you, Gunja Gonzalez. And Dan, what would you say there? Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Gunja, for your support. Uh, and... Yeah, it's a very interesting question because like I have mentioned in the past um, that plants do have an effect on each other and I've seen uh, instances where people have been drying plants in a drying room near plants that are not yet flowering and those plants start uh, prematurely flowering in advance because of the gases, basically, chemicals like you mentioned that are given off by the 
dead and drying plants, basically. Uh, and what those are are auxins. So and this happens even when the plant is alive. Plants are in constant communication with each other. So if you, you know, this, this is a, a good concern for people who have perpetual harvests. And it's why you really need to separate different chambers when you have a perpetual harvest. You don't really don't want to do it all in the same room because the plants have an effect on each other. And you do mention that you could use this intentionally to reduce flowering times. But the problem with that is it also greatly reduces the yield of those strains. Strains really need to, long flowering strains really need that extra time to fill out and to mature. And if you mature them early, you're certainly going to be cutting way into the yield that you would normally get if you let them go the full distance. So those chemicals are being exchanged and plants are communicating with each other. Now, that's not to say that people can't grow perpetually in the same space. It happens all the time, uh, and I've seen it. It's just you have to be aware of the fact that um, plants can affect other plants in the room. They they can uh, give off chemicals or auxins, as mentioned, and uh, communicate basically to say, hey, we're you know, we're eight weeks along, you're only four weeks along, uh, you need to speed up. I think separating plants that are in different stages of life is important. Uh, as far as using it intentionally, you can reduce flowering times maybe by doing that, but I think it would greatly reduce yield as well. All right. Uh, so thank you, Gunja Gonzalez. We hope that helps. Uh, we're running a little long here, but uh, let's try to get two more in. Uh, so this one is from Chad. He writes... Hi guys, uh, growing inside a box with LED lights, is it worth trying to give the girls a couple hours of natural sunlight through a window versus keeping them in the box all day at 18.6? Um, it, it certainly wouldn't hurt to give them some natural sunlight and nothing beats natural sunlight. Um, you know, I definitely would recommend it if you had HID lighting because, it, it, you know, you could reduce your electric bill substantially. With LEDs, it's not quite as big of a deal. The only other thing you'd have to worry about is changing your plants from being under LEDs to being under full sun will certainly stress them out. So I would start with short periods of time and work your way up. Um, now, if it's just coming light that's coming through a window, there's probably not that much of it, maybe an hour or two, um, you know, maybe three or four per day. It, it couldn't hurt, and it's great to have a variety of different types of light on your plants and certainly sunlight when it's full sunlight for sure is more powerful than any led light but um you're also going to be moving these plants around a lot so you got to kind of factor in how much you want to fuss around with taking the plants uh, out of your box putting them in the sunlight and then putting them back in the box it's a lot of work uh, a lot of extra effort but you may get uh you know, a bit of a more of an array of essential oils because of using that natural sunlight. So it's worth a shot. It's worth trying if you're if you're willing to do the work. Okay, very good. We hope that helps you out there, Chad. Uh, let's take one more uh, from Facebook here. The Hash Druid writes, "Hey guys, I was listening to the podcast and heard you talking about people that are immune to edibles. I am one of those people." And a friend that makes edibles found that using a digestive aid with the edibles overcomes this issue, and it did it for me and anyone I could find with that same issue. It seems to be a digestive issue inhibiting the edible effect. It also makes the edibles work faster and stronger for those that don't have this issue. Uh, that's interesting. What do you think, Dan? I think, uh, like you said, very interesting, and... Uh, I think even more so the fact that it works for people that don't have that issue because it's probably a pretty rare thing to be immune to edibles. I've only met maybe one or two people, I would say maybe three in my life that have told me that and only a couple that I can confirm, <laughs> you know, uh, for sure. We could confirm the one, I think. Uh, right. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, as to what what is the digestive aid, I'd be interested to know what they mean by a digestive aid in the edibles, um, you know, is that a, yeah, what exactly do they mean by a digestive aid? That, that, that would be interesting for me and how you can use that in the edibles. Um, so if you have any more info on that hash druid, the hash druid, uh, let us know on Facebook or through our, uh, website or however else, uh, I'd be interested to know what you mean by digestive aid. And I think there's a lot of people out there 
or at least a few people out there, some who are immune to edibles that would love to try this and some who aren't that would love to you know, accelerate that. And I think pay, for patients in particular, if you can make edibles work faster and stronger, uh, that could be huge. So please let okay. us know what that digestive aid is. I'm, I'm curious to know. For sure. I just hope it's not like a stool softener or something. Uh, <laughs> <That's> th- <laughs> thank you, uh, the hash druid. Thank you to everybody who wrote in this week. Um, if you were listening and you have a question you'd like Dan to answer on the show, get in touch with us. Uh, email us at info at growbudyourself.com. Uh, that does it for the cultivation segment. Why don't we take a little break, come back, and then wrap this up? Let's do it. All right. Welcome back. And I think it's the wrap. Time to wrap it up. Yes. We are going to wrap up the show here by just saying thank you to DJ Jacques and Winstrong. Thank you to Dale Sky Jones. What an incredible uh, interview that was. Thank you to Excelsior Extracts, Diamond Cut Co., Sweet Leaf Nutrients. Remember, Vapor.com. That code is GBY for uh, 15% off at Vapor.com. And... Thank you to you guys, and thank you to Patreon. Anyone who's there on our Patreon page, thanks to Gunja Gonzalez, who is a $42 Patreon supporter uh, and gets a shout-out on the show, asks a ton of questions as well. So thank you to Gon- Gunja Gonzalez. And uh, yeah, we, another great show. What do you think, Mike? Let's put it in the books. I think it's time. All right, let's do it. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you. Grow Bud Yourself. Go fuck yourself.